um, see you in the room. Uh, so many familiar faces uh, under the masks. I recognize you even under the masks here. And I want to welcome those of you watching online. You are sorely missed as well. Uh, and we thank you for joining us uh, in this space. For those of you who are new to our congregation, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life Fellowship Church. And it is a joy to, uh, to gather in this way and worship. And uh, I don't know when was the last time I preached before this many people. So um, I was a bit anxious this morning going, hopefully I remember how to talk in front of a bunch of people here. So you guys will give me much grace uh, in this room. Smile, even though I don't know you're smiling. Just smile under those masks. Wink at me. Wave at me. Throw a thumbs up from time to time. Uh, there we go. I, I see that hand. I see that hand here. So uh, we are going to be uh, in this kind of space for the next four weeks. Uh, we're calling it our soft uh, open, and so for the next four weeks, we're going to be gathering in a limited way, just like we're doing right now, and that'll help us assess uh, how we move forward in the fall. As we know, we've been in a, uh, a crazy world that we've been in for the last number of months, and so we wanted to go very slow, very methodical, and if all is well in the fall, we have three options, as I've mentioned in different videos and in emails and such, that in the fall, we'll have three options. We'll either gather in this space again for one service with a limited group of people and online, or we'll be able to go to two services uh, and worship together, or if we feel it's necessary to just continue our online gathering, exclusively online gathering, uh, we'll go that route as well. So this is kind of a soft opening to help us assess uh, current reality, assess how we're doing, and to prepare us for what might be coming in the future. But uh, I am thrilled uh, to see people in the room and sing and gather as the people of God uh, together. Now we're starting a new series here focusing on the church, what the church is to be. And I think this is a very important series for our congregation. And um, I think this is supposed to go on as well. So it might just, there we go. When someone hit the remote in the back there, boom, there we go, in the remote in the back. Uh, we are in a series focusing on the church. Ah, there we go. Being a community of Jesus followers. And I think this is actually a very important series for us. I say that about every sermon series, but this is a very important series for us because in a world that's increasingly uh, social distanced, in a world that is uh, sheltering in place, we can miss out what it means to be uh, the people of God. And so for the next five or six weeks throughout this series, we're going to look at various metaphors of what it means to be the church. What does it mean for us to be the church? What is God's invitation to us as the body of Christ? And today we're going to look at the first metaphor of the church as a family, the church as a family. And so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. If you have a Bible, if you have your phone, you can take it out to Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse number 18. Ephesians 2, 18, and you can follow on the screen along with me. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul says, For through him we have both access to the Father, uh, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. He continues. If I can find where my verse is at here. Built on the foundation of apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. But what you see here in yellow is what I want to emphasize. Paul calls the people of God members of his household, members of his family. What does it mean that the church is a family? 
That's what we're going to talk about today. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your spirit. Lord, we thank you that we are the body of Christ. We are a family. Teach us now what that means and what it means to live this out in the world we're in. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a famous story out of Spain of a father and son who had become estranged from each other. The son ran away and the father went off to find him. But after uh, many months, he could not find his son. And so in a last desperate effort to find his son, he put out an ad in the Madrid newspaper. And the ad very simply read like this here. Dear Paco, meet me, I'll tell you what it says, meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. And the story goes on to say that on that Saturday, 800 young men named Paco showed up looking for forgiveness and love from their fathers. There's something about coming home, something about the love of a family that we all long for. There's something about joining together in a bond of love. And in this series, we're going to be looking at various metaphors of the church, but we need to focus on this one because this one is singularly important for our time, that the church is a family. And it's important to say what the church is and what the church is not. And I want to say it this way, that the church is not an event. The church is not a location. The church is not a product. The church is not an experience. The church is the family of God. Amen. The church is not an event, a location, a product, or an experience. The church is the family of God. And holding on to this truth, especially in the middle of a pandemic, is critically important. I'm concerned as a Christian. I'm concerned as a pastor. I'm concerned that in this pandemic, throughout the church in this country, that lots of people are drifting away from the life of the church. And I'm not simply talking about drifting away from watching services online. I'm talking about drifting away from the nature of having relationships that keep us bonded to God and keep us bonded to one another. The drifting of spiritual companionship. And so this sermon series and this preaching series is to remind us what it means to be the church. And the word family is the best place to begin. Now, when I say that the church is the family of God, I recognize that not everyone who hears those words is pretty enthusiastic about that. Because not everyone has the same relationship with their family as the next person. For some of us, when we hear that the, family is the, the, the church is the family of God, uh, we don't rejoice over that. Because for some of us, we are estranged from our family. For some of us, all we know is conflict and pain within our families. Uh, it's often the case that abuse happens not with, most happens not with strangers. Abuse happens most often within a family system, within a family environment. That there's a lot of pain that happens within the context of a family. For some of us, our families have been such a source of irritation to us. Can I get an amen? Okay, in this pandemic here. I remember when the pandemic first started, 
And uh, I thought, you know, we're going to be together. We are a team. We're a family. We're going to get through this. And then two hours later, can I get a witness? All right, two hours later, my son is asking for the seventh time, can I get some snacks? Can I get some crackers? I'm, I'm thinking, I don't think we're going to get through this uh, together. Lord, come, Lord Jesus. Oh, come. And so for some of us, to hear the word family doesn't bring good feelings to us because of previous experiences that we might have or current reality that might uh, be our, in our situation. But I want to tell you that this word is important for us, and this is what Paul lets us know. We are the family of God. You can't understand the Bible without recognizing how core the family is in the story of Scripture. In our society where personal freedoms and individualism is valued, it's hard to see how communal, how family-oriented Scripture truly is. And a matter of fact, the Bible is much more communal than it is individual. And that's something we have to remember. The Bible is much more communal. The Bible is much more community-oriented than it is individually oriented. In the Bible, you will never see the phrase, Jesus is my personal Savior. Those words never come up in the Bible. Now, is Jesus my personal Savior? Of course Jesus is my personal Savior. Is Christ your personal Savior? Of course, but you'll never see those words in the Bible that Jesus is my personal Savior. When, when Jesus teaches us to pray, he doesn't teach us to pray, my Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. No, he teaches us to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In Paul's letters, look how communal Paul's letters are. In Paul's letters, the word, the phrase, our Lord, comes up 53 times. The phrase, my Lord, comes up one time in all of his letters. Think about that for a moment. Our Lord comes up 53 times. My Lord comes up one time. You see, the Bible is not just privatized individual faith. We are part of a family. We're part of a community. It's a communal belonging to one another. There's a book I read by a man named Joseph Hellerman. He's a New Testament scholar. And he wrote a book called When the Church Was a Family. And he says, imagine you're at an informal church gathering. Let's say it's a Super Bowl party, and we're meeting in the sanctuary here. And we're having a good time. We're watching the game. Of course, the Jets are not playing, but we're watching a game, and uh, halftime comes. And when halftime comes, you're looking for the chips and the dip, and you see that there's someone in the event that you've never seen before. And so you're about to walk over to that person to introduce yourself to him. You never got his name. And before you introduce yourself to him, he beats you to the punch and introduces himself to you. But when he introduces himself, he says, hi, my name is Jonathan, the son of William, the son of Eric, the son of Michael. Who are you? And you're a little taken aback because we don't introduce ourselves to each other in that way. We use our first name. And the next thing we usually say is, this is what I do for a living. But in Bible times, when the people were introduced, they were introduced according to their family. In the book of Esther, uh, it says, Mordecai, son of Jer, son of Shemi, son of Kish. When Isaiah is introduced, it says, Isaiah, son of Amos. 
when Jeremiah is introduced, Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, when Bartimaeus is introduced, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, when John is introduced, John, the son of Zechariah. In the Bible, we see how fundamentally family-oriented it is, how communal it is that we belong to one another. As a matter of fact, the world comes into existence through a family, through Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The world comes into existence through the family love of the Trinity. I love what uh, Dr. Loida Martero Otero said. She said it this way, the Trinity underscores three lived realities. La familia, family. La comunidad, community. And la presencia, the abiding presence of God in the spaces of the everyday. The world comes into existence through the love of the family. And we are invited to live in this way. This is what Paul is getting at when we look at Ephesians chapter 2. Something profound has happened in the church at Ephesus. And something as profound has happened in our lives as well. When Paul writes this letter to the church, he's reminding them that Jesus Christ has joined people who in the past had nothing to do with one another. In ancient times, there were significant tensions between Jews and Gentiles. In our country, we recognize the tension between white people and black people. But when you think about in ancient times, not only was there tensions along the lines of ethnicity, there were also tensions along the lines of religion and uh, economics, and uh, all kinds of social levels and layers, there was tensions beyond it. And so uh, Paul is highlighting in chapter 2 that in the grand scheme of things, God has wanted to join Jew and Gentile together. This is what we see in the Old Testament. And it has not happened yet, but something has happened in Jesus Christ that the barriers have come down. So much so that Paul says in verse 19, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or strangers. Now those two words, foreigners or strangers, related to the Gentiles' relationship with God. He said you're no longer a foreigner or stranger as it pertains to your relationship with God. But beyond that, he's saying you are no longer to be foreigners or strangers with each other. You're no longer a foreigner or stranger with God. And you're no longer a foreigner or stranger with each other. You are no longer a foreigner or stranger. What are you? You are son and daughter of God. And you are no longer a foreigner or stranger with each other. What are you? You are brothers and sisters. Paul says you used to be foreigners and strangers, but it doesn't have to be that way. That no matter what your differences, no matter what your education, no matter where you grew up, no matter where you live right now, no matter the color of your skin, no matter how much money you have, you do not have to live as foreigners or strangers anymore. Why? Because the barrier has come down in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so the gospel is not just this bridge that gets us to God. The gospel is a sledgehammer, amen, that separates, that tears down walls that separate us. No longer foreigners or strangers. And yet I grieve because it's often the case that within the church we live as foreigners and strangers to each other. This is the irony of the world we live in. In a crowded city like ours, 
The irony is you can live in close proximity but never see someone beyond the categories of foreigners or strangers. Think for a moment in your neighborhood. How many names of people do you know? Not your metaphorical neighbor, your literal neighbor. The neighbor who lives next door to you or two houses down or two apartment uh, uh, rooms down or such. Do you know their names? Are they more than just a stranger or a foreigner to you? It, the irony is in a, in a densely populated society, we can live as foreigners or strangers, but that's not just in our city, that's within our homes. It's possible that within our homes, we can live under the same roof and still treat each other as foreigners and strangers. Married couples treating each other as foreigners and strangers. Just because you sleep in the same bed does not mean you are living in, be, beyond being a foreigner and the stranger. The irony and the challenge of this pandemic is we are always in such close proximity with each other, but proximity doesn't mean intimacy. That we can live in close proximity with each other and still relate to each other as foreigners and strangers. In our churches, when we gather for worship, we call each other brothers and sisters. We say, hey brother, hey sister, but in true reality, functionally, we often live as foreigners and strangers. And this weighs on my heart. I often wonder, New Life Fellowship Church, we are a very large church. And I often wonder, for the vast majority of our church, do we truly and functionally relate to each other as foreigners and strangers? Yes, we see each other online. Yes, we might pray for someone here or there, but are we truly brothers and sisters functionally? Or are we functionally foreigners and strangers? My heart is heavy because we are so distant now that it only can exacerbate that notion of being a foreigner or a stranger. And it's very easy to see the church in a way that just uh, emphasizes and deepens that reality. And so again, the church is not an event, not a location, not a product, not an experience. The church is a family. And yet for many of us, we have a hard time with this notion and for good reason. For some of us, maybe you've been hurt by the church or hurt by a church. And so you don't want to relate as family because you've been hurt. And you say, I, I, I've, I know what it's like to move up close to someone and I know what it's like to be hurt. Therefore, I'm going, I'd rather treat you as a foreigner or a stranger, lest you hurt me again. We, our lives are so full, we find ourselves as foreigners or strangers. But, but hear God's word to you today. We are to be more than just foreigners and strangers. The world needs us to be more than foreigners or strangers. We are the family of God. And this is, has happened because of what, what Christ has done. Early in the chapter, Paul says the barriers have come down. A sledgehammer has torn down the walls, that we are no longer estranged from one another. We are now brothers and sisters, and this is good news for a world caught in estrangement. Good news for a world caught in loneliness. Good news for a world caught in political hostility. There is a possibility with the people of God to be more than just enemies. We are brothers 
and sisters. Uh, in Christ, a new human family is possible. Isn't that what the world is longing for? When you go on social media, you do not see this new human family that's been created in Christ. What we see over and over again are people taking sides. I'm over here and I'm over there. But what we don't see is the nature of human relationship that moves beyond the kind of categories of polarization and separateness and division. And the world is longing for this kind of human connection. In Christ, a new family is possible. And we see that when Jesus, uh, when Jesus preached this, he just didn't preach it. He actually lived it. There was a time when Jesus gathered his 12 disciples, and when he gathered his 12 disciples, he gathered them together to show what was possible with God. Notice what Jesus doesn't do when he calls his disciples. He doesn't go, hey, what's your Myers-Briggs profile? And I want to just get your Myers-Briggs profile, and I want to get a group that everyone can just, per from a personality perspective, just get along. He doesn't go, what's your Enneagram number? Okay. And what's your Enneagram number? Okay. Let's just get together. Let's just have a good time together. No. He, he gathers people who on social, political, personality levels had nothing in common and gathered them together to say, let me show you what's possible with God. He, he pulls together one guy named Matthew and he pulls together a guy named Simon. And look how different these two were. Matthew was a tax collector. Simon was a tax protester. Imagine those conversations. Simon collected revenue for the Romans. Simon was a rebel. He protested against the Romans. Matthew was wealthy. Simon was a commoner. Matthew lived to make his money by overcharging people like Simon. And Simon lived to kill people like Matthew. And Jesus said, all right, I'm going to show you what's possible with God. Amen. Look what Christ does. He doesn't say, you're a Met fan, you're a Met fan. Oh, come on, bring it here, bring it here, bring it here. Uh, you, you like Spanish food? You like Spanish food? Bring it here, bring it here, bring it here. You like, bro you like Hamilton? You like Hamilton? Bring it here, bring it here, bring it here. No, he finds people. You, liked Ham you hated Hamilton? No, bring it here, bring it here, bring it here. And by the way, who hates Hamilton? Let's talk about that for a moment. I got feelings about this here. Amen. All right, let's move on before I go down a, down a road that I should not go on. This is good news for everyone. And this is good news because, first of all, God's family is open to everyone. Amen. God's family is open to everyone. Your sins, your addictions, your problems, your hang-ups, your past, your present does not keep you from being welcomed into the family of God. In the name of Jesus, people who are on the outside can be brought on the inside into the family of God. Growing up in Brooklyn, my grandparents used to welcome so many people into the house, so much so that I used to think the people that they welcomed were actually family. And I found out these people were not family, <laughs> literal family. These were people that they were welcomed into the home. And even though they had a small house, they had an emotional and spiritual spaciousness to their soul where they invited so many people in. And we have to recognize there is a spaciousness in the family of God. God welcomes. This is what baptism is so important. When someone gets baptized, they are washed and they are welcomed into the family of God. And the family of God, there's always food on the table. 
In the family of God, there's always shelter for the lost. In the family of God, there's always love for the broken. And the church, brothers and sisters, is to be the best demonstration of the family of God. But how do we live this out? How do we live out this reality? And I want to close by offering a few ways for us to move forward as the family of God at New Life Fellowship Church. And whether you're watching online, whether you're in this building right now, this message is for all of us. Whether we continue with worship in this way where we gather or whether everything is exclusively online, we are called to be the family of God. But what does this mean for us? I want to share three things with us. To live as the family of God means, first of all, that life is shared. Life is shared. The family is the place where we are known. The family is the place where we know others. It's a place where we share hopes and our hurts. It's a place where we care for one another. And this is contrary how many people relate to the church. It's often the case that people go to church, often large churches, to remain anonymous. I go, I've heard people come up to me in the lobby and say, Pastor Rich, I, the reason I come here is because no one knows who I am. <laughs> no one knows who I am. And that's just not new life. That's all over this country. That people come because no one knows who I am. I can be anonymous in this space. I love your church so much. And when I hear that, my heart grieves. Because the church is more than just a location. The church is more than an event. The church is more than a product. The church is more than an experience. The church is the family of God. And I believe that in our community at New Life, in the coming months, we're going to have to go a lot deeper in establishing smaller communities to enable us to share life together. We've done so much already, and I thank God for our community life team, our pastoral staff who's worked so hard to con continue connect people via Zoom and online, but I know we can do more, and I know we must go deeper. That it's so easy for people to be lost, but to be the family of God means that life is shared. Now, when I say that, I'm not suggesting that this kind of shared life happens automatically. It's often the case, we go, you want me to share all my secrets? and I, It's a gradual flow. But the question is, are you moving along that spectrum where you are known by others and others know you? Let me ask you in this room, let me ask you watching online, in this community, are you known? Do people know your background? Do people know your current struggles? Do people know your anxieties and your fears? Is life being shared? Are you being known and do you know? Does that describe your life? The invitation for us as we move forward as a community through this pandemic is that life would be increasingly shared with one another. That's the first thing, life is shared. The second part about family that it's important for us to note is that, number two, that conflict is not the last word. And conflict does not have to have the last word. To be a family means that from time to time, conflict will happen. Can I get a witness here? Is there anyone, maybe your house, your dishes don't get dirty, uh, maybe your kids go to bed on time, and, and, and there's no disagreements, you always agree which movie to watch and what to have dinner, I don't, but not my house, okay? But there's, there's conflict all the time. 
But conflict does not have to have the last word. To be a family means that disagreement and conflict will come up. And it's important to normalize that within the family of God. Because this is what often happens within church settings. There's often three kind of modes or three kind of phases that people go into when they come into a church. The first uh, mode is that there's an idealism that takes place. You've been at this church for two weeks, and you go, this is the best place I've ever been. So we'll stay a while, okay? <laughs> You've been here for two weeks. This is the best place. Everyone's so welcoming. Everyone's so happy. Everyone's so joyful. There's an idealism or an illusion that we come into. And then inevitably what happens is this. If you stay around for a little while, your idealism and your illusion about the particular church you find yourself in will give way to disappointment. And inevitably, this happens within romantic relationships. This happens within uh, congregational life. You know, you, you met that man, and you were like, wow, this, he, he opens the door for me. He, he, he compliments me all the time. And then you, I see the screen go two years later, you know, and the guy's like, you, you open the door for yourself, you know what I'm saying? All, then disappointment comes. But what happens is this, disappointment comes, and is at that point where people leave. We were so caught in an ideal, so caught in an illusion, that when disappointment comes, we go, I got to get, get out of here. This place is just like every other place. And you know what? That's true. It's at this point where we move from idealism to disappointment to covenant. And if you last long enough in a community, you will see that the members of the community are neither saints or devils, <laughs> but people, each with, with mixture of darkness and light, of good and bad, that we are all a mixture. And for some of us, we see either the church as all these are all saints, or we go, oh, those are all devils. The church is neither. The church is a mixture of darkness and light, of good and bad. It was Ron Roheiser who said that the church is the place to help others carry their pathologies and to have them help me carry mine. This is the body of Christ. We are a family. But here's the last thing I want you to hold on to. We are not just a place where life is shared. We're not just a people where conflict does not have the last word. We also are to carry each other to God. And that's what a family does. We carry each other to God. We, our lives are marked by mercy and forgiveness and grace and intercession. And we are invited to be a people who carries each other to God. And in a world where, that is increasingly marked by division and hostility and hatred, the world needs the church to show what's possible with God. Our bond as a family is not through our blood. When I look around this room, even in a small a setting like this here, I see great diversity in this room. A congregation has over 75 nations represented in one of the most diverse areas in the world. What joins us together? Not our blood, 
what joins us together is the blood of Jesus Christ. That's who joins us together. We are not joined together because of a particular political affiliation. We don't join together because of how we look on the outside. We don't join together because of particular interests that we have. What bonds us together? The blood of Jesus Christ. And what God is inviting us into as we look at this series is, will you be a different kind of people? Will you show the world what's possible through the blood of Jesus Christ? Amen. Let's pray together. It's so easy to relate to each other as a foreigner or stranger. But in the name of Jesus, something is possible to move beyond those categories into a deeper category, a deeper bond of human relationship, brother and sister. Lord, thank you for your love that tears down barriers. Thank you for your love that creates a new humanity. Thank you for your love, which makes us into a new people. Now, Lord, I pray that you would help us to take the next step forward, to recognize all the ways that we have created barriers on our own that have kept us distant from others, and teach us to take the next step in being the people of God, the family of God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together. Even if you're watching at home, maybe this would be a good opportunity to stand. I want to bless you all. It is a, a joy to see you all in this room here. And uh, next week we're going to do it again, and so we'll see a brand new set of faces in this room. And I want to reiterate what I've said in, on the video and online that our church is very big. Uh, our church is probably anywhere between 1,500 and 2,000 people who call New Life Fellowship home. And to do this for four weeks, rec I recognize that there's significant limitations there, that not everyone's going to be in this kind of space. But we hope that by God's grace, we hope that healing would come over our land and that we will be a people to gather together in this space soon again. As you're watching online or in this room here, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. My invitation to you is that you would take the next step in moving towards others as the family of God. We have small groups that meet throughout the course of a given week, throughout our city. Maybe God is calling you to create a family, a small family as you were, to gather others who are on the margins. For some of you, God's given great leadership ability to gather people together. And my hope is that you would listen to the Holy Spirit to gather people. And for some, you're just so hungry to be in relationship. And my hope is that you would listen to the Holy Spirit this week and what it looks like for you to take the next step in our community to join with others as the family of God. Uh, at the end of our service, uh, we have our virtual prayer room. 
And so for those of you online who just want someone to pray with, uh, we'll have that available on our uh, Zoom link that's on our Facebook feed as well as on our newlife.nyc feed. And we also have our, our pastoral lobby area where if you want to connect with one of, our, one of our pastors, you can do that as well. But I want to I bless you. And may we be the people of God. So open your hands towards heaven. Brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building and out of this online worship gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing that we are brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God. And may the Lord move us from being foreigners and strangers to brothers and sisters. And may God give you wisdom. May God give you grace. May God give you courage to take a next step forward in that direction. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you all. Uh, see you next week online. For those of us in this room, Pastor Jackie has a quick announcement.